Uh, as I promised tonight, um, I promised to um, begin a series of short talks on uh, the subject of spiritual warfare, and I've spoken to many of you, you know, about, I think most of us realize how critical uh, that subject is, uh, it, but it's also, as many of us know, it's a subject that's really polarized. Um, you know, many of the doctrines in the church are that way, and you know, on one side of this polarization, you know, we have many people in our culture that, um, in terms of the spiritual realm, they practically disregard it altogether. Um, life, um, for many folks, is, is really limited to uh, what you can see, what you can feel, what you can touch, uh, what you can measure, uh, what you can conduct scientific experiments on, and... Um, Really, uh, for these folks, there's not a lot of room for angels, uh, for, for Christ, or for the Holy Spirit, or for things of that matter. And uh, typically our culture refers to this as materialism, or these folks are known as materialists. You know, Current psychology and psychiatry is largely, I don't know if it's dominated these days, but it's uh, heavily populated with materialists. Materialists actually see our bodies as really just big bags of chemicals. And uh, really, um, there's really a disregard completely for the soul, for the, you know, the spiritual side of it. And, and I, I raise this because in the church there are materialists of sorts. It's very possible to be in the church and to fully embrace Christ, to fully embrace the Holy Spirit, to fully embrace uh, the spiritual realm in the sense that you embrace the presence of angels. You would acknowledge the uh, presence of Satan and demons. Uh, you would acknowledge all that. Uh, but to be a materialist in this way that um, for you demonic activity is something that, that took place back during the, the days of Jesus' earthly ministry. And then after Jesus' earthly ministry, it pretty much ceased and uh, it doesn't occur any longer. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people in the church that way. In fact, in the 16th century, the Lutheran church abolished exorcism. So uh, that, that indeed was quite premature. Yeah. So uh, I, I think we can, we can understand how dangerous that is. Now, uh, that would be one side of the spectrum. Now, on the other side of the spectrum are those who find a devil under every bush. And, uh, you know, everything that goes wrong is attributed to the devil. You know, he did it. Uh, the devil did it. The devil made me do it. You know, this particular sin that occurred over here really wasn't my fault. The devil led me to that. The devil led me to this. And uh, really, when, when we start looking at things that way, we're really taking personal responsibility and we're throwing it overboard, aren't we? You know, there's, there's no personal responsibility. You know, I didn't do this because I sinned. I did it because of that devil. He made me do it. So my problem is not personal sin. My problem is the demon or the, the devil. And if we see our, if we see the human predicament this way, then we're going to take a, a certain course of ministry that's uh, even less helpful. Uh, instead of focusing on sharing the gospel, uh, instead of focusing on biblical counseling, uh, we're going to focus on exercising this particular demon. I might give an example. Suppose a person comes along and he's having trouble keeping a job. 
And he comes to, he goes to his pastor and says, you know, I've just been going through jobs like crazy. I can't keep a job. Um, folks that are, that are of this tendency sometimes, rather than doing basic biblical counseling diagnostics, rather than saying, uh, well, you know, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the jobs you've had. Do you show up for work? You know, do you have do you have the the competency? If you develop the skills that are necessary for the job that you have, you know, are you lazy? Do you respect authority? Do you work well with others? Instead of asking these basic, which in some cases are hard to ask, you can tell by the way I'm phrasing these questions. They're not easy to ask people. Believe me, I know. It's not easy to ask people that question. And instead of taking that approach altogether, their problem is seen as, okay, there's a demon oppressing you. The tendency will be taken is like, the devil's just getting the best of me here. You know, I just can't get up on my feet. He just keeps beating me down. He keeps beating me down. So on this side of it all, the, the, you know, the course of action is to get rid of the demon. Uh, so, you know, folks that fall into this will often seek deliverance from what we call deliverance ministries today. They'll seek that instead of biblical counseling. They'll seek that instead of the gospel. And uh, what we really have left with is a victim instead of a sinner. Uh, it's very dangerous. Uh, very, very dangerous to take that, uh, that course of action. So uh, when there's no personal responsibility, there's not going to be any need for repentance, is there? And without repentance, where are we? We're nowhere. So we can see that when, when we have these two extremes out here, we see we need to be somewhere in the center. We don't want to be off to the left to say there's no demonic activity at all. We're going to see from the, the scriptures here that demonic activity is quite real. But we don't want to see a, you know, a demon under every bush either. We, want, we don't want to see this to the exclusion of our own personal responsibility uh, for what we're doing. So we need a balance here. If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 3... I would flip the pages to find a page number for everybody, but I don't have a copy um, with me here. Somebody have a page number out of to help folks find it? Uh, page two, if you turn to page two, if you're using the uh, church's Bible, it's page two. I'm gonna go to a really familiar text. I could, there's a lot of texts I could choose, but I chose this one because it's so familiar to most people. There's some it might not be familiar to. But it's such a familiar text. If we look at Genesis 3, uh, and let's just look at really the, uh, the first line there, uh, two lines. Uh, we read these words, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, the context here is, you know, in chapter 1, we have the creation account. In chapter 2, we have the creation account retold from the vantage point of the creation of, of, of the first man and the first woman, of Adam and Eve. Uh, they're created. Uh, they're installed into the Garden of Eden as man and wife. And in chapter 3, Eve is in the garden. And in the garden, she encounters this serpent uh, who is speaking a talking serpent. Now, the materialist is going crazy right now. A talking serpent. 
I mean, over the years, as I have uh, explained this text to people, I, I've, I, on many occasions, have encountered objections, and a lot of times they're not, they're not verbal objections. They come more in kind of like facial expressions, like, really? I mean, you expect me to believe that a serpent t- spoke in a way that Eve was able to understand? Because has anybody ever seen a snake talk? And uh, actually, that's the point. Snakes don't talk, do they? They don't talk. Eve should have known something's really wrong here. Something's really wrong here. Snakes don't talk. This one's talking. And I understand what it's saying. And furthermore, if you think about Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve are created and they're given dominion over the creation, aren't they? They're put in charge. So the creatures, they're not supposed to be telling Adam and Eve what to do, are they? Adam and Eve are supposed to be telling them what to do. Now here we have this talking snake who's attempting to have dominion over Eve. This is really wrong, isn't it? This is a mess. Who is this character? Who is this character that's trying to uh, dominate Eve? Now, I, I fully believe that all of you know who the, the answer to that question, but I want you to see it for yourself. If you keep your finger in on page two, keep your finger there and turn clear to the back of the Bible to Revelation 12. Revelation chapter 12. So I want you to know where these passages are for yourself because I want you to see it for yourself. Revelation 12. As soon as someone gets a page number, holler a page number out for the benefit of those who are looking. I'm sorry? 1034. 1034. And keep your finger in Genesis 3 because we're going to go back there. Revelation chapter... 12 verses 7 through 9. Has everybody got it? Now, the, the genre of this passage is what we call apocalyptic literature. The genre is very figurative, it's, it's metaphorical, uh, it's meant to be seen. And if we read this passage, uh, chapter 12, verse 7, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back and he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down that what? Anybody. (laughs) That ancient serpent who is called what? The devil. Yeah, and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, verse 9 is telling us that the serpent is none other than who? It's none other than Satan himself. And back to the materialist, I mean, Satan is here talking through the agency. He is speaking through the instrumentality of the serpent. Now, a lot of people, a lot of materialists today will say snakes don't talk. Well, normally they don't talk. But when... A creature such as one who is as powerful as Satan is. I mean, in the hands of Satan, if he's given enough room by God, he actually can speak through these 
through these creatures. Now, just because we can't do that doesn't mean it can't be done. Because here we see it's being done, don't, don't we? We're dealing with one very powerful creature here that's able to do this. So what's going on here? What's going on here is this talking serpent is far more malicious than Eve could ever imagine. He's far more powerful than she could ever imagine. And we ought to ask this question now. Where, is he, where did he come from? Where, where did Satan come from? Well, Satan's not a serpent. We, we know that. He's, a, he's an angel. He was created, one of the angels that uh, God created. He was created through Christ. Uh, Colossians 1.16, you don't need to turn there, just listen. Colossians 1.16 reads, For by him, that is by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We were all created through Christ. So was Satan. He was created through Christ, originally as a good angel. But texts like Jude 6 and 2 Peter 2.4, they inform us that there were angels in heaven that were unsatisfied with the position of authority that they were put in. So they sought for themselves positions of authority that weren't given to them. That's a fancy way of saying they rebelled against God. And what happened was they were judged, they were cast out of heaven. And they were put into the netherworld, if you will, into gloom, into darkness, where they are bound, they're chained, if you will. Um, that's where we get the idea of fallen angels. That's where that, that notion of fallen angels comes from. And uh, these fallen angels are horribly malicious demons. They're, uh, they hate Christ. They oppose Christ. They hate his kingdom. They oppose his kingdom. They hate his church. They oppose his church. They hate people. They hate souls. They hate everything. And they're, they're dead set on trying to destroy all that, that God loves. Um, they... they they're extraordinarily powerful, but they're limited in the sense that they can only, they can, they're, they're on a leash. If we think of them as on a leash, they can only, they're, they're like, um, they're like rabid dogs. It's on a leash. It can only run out to the end of its leash, but don't get inside that area of that leash. Uh, John Calvin used to speak of them. He used to say, you know, that, that uh, these demons, they drag their chains around everywhere they go. Um, so, um, you know, Satan is the most powerful of these angels that was ever created. And uh, he fell from heaven. Jesus says about him in John 8, 44, he says that he's the father of lies and that he was a murderer from the beginning. Uh, he's extraordinarily powerful, intelligent. He's a malicious angel uh, who has fallen from heaven. Now, if you go back to Genesis 3, uh, back to where we left off, you know, Eve is in the garden with this talking serpent, and she has no idea how dangerous this is. Uh, she, she's really, at this point, she's face to face with the angel of death. And listen to what Satan is asking. He says, did God really say you should not eat any tree in the garden? You see that? Well, God never said that. I mean, he's twisting it. I mean, God gave all the trees in the garden to Adam and Eve to enjoy, except for the one, right? The knowledge of the good... The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the tree they were to abstain from. Um, so, no, he never did say that. Satan is twisting God's word. He's attacking God's character. He's making God out to be withholding and stingy. And uh, this is spiritual warfare. Uh, what we have here is spiritual warfare. It's a battle. It's a battle like any other kind of... Uh, unlike any other kind of battle, it's a battle for your mind. 
Now, uh, Eve has made a great mistake here. Uh, she begins talking with the serpent. She ignores the warning signs. If you look at verse 2, she says, she answers him. She says, we may eat of fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, knowing full well that he has already lured her, you know, he, he ramps things up, doesn't he? He picks things up. And uh, he responds at the end of verse 4, if you see, he says to her, he says, you will not surely die. So now he's, he's, he's blatantly contradicting God at this point. You see how he ramps it up. You will not surely die. And notice the, the assault on, on God's character in verse 5. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, so at this point, I mean, Satan's tempt, his deception and temptation has turned um, Eve's heart away from God, hasn't it? We know that because what does she do? She takes fruit from the tree, she eats it. She gives some to her husband who's with her and he eats it. And then we know what happens. Uh, especially those of you who've been studying them on Wednesday nights with us. I mean, we studied this, didn't we? Uh, all humanity plunges into, into, uh, into darkness, into spiritual ruin. Uh, so they've, they've been attacked by the devil. There's been a satanic assault here. But I'm not going to go over all those verses just for the sake of time. But um, we're going to skip down to verses 14 and 15. But if you look, at, you look between verses 6 and 13, you'll see that the, they've been attacked by Satan, but they're still responsible. They're still responsible. Uh, they're not simply able to say, listen, the devil made me do it. They try that, but it doesn't work, does it? Now, if you look down with me to verses 14 and 15, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, uh, the first thing that we notice here is God curses Satan. And this is many of the places where we, we learn for sure Satan is very powerful, but he's a created creature. He, 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 he wouldn't last a nanosecond with God. And God curses him, and he says, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. See this part where he says, on your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. The serpent undergoes a change in the garden. I don't know how the serpent got into the garden, but I know how it gets out of the garden. It slithers out of the garden. It didn't slither into the garden. Because if it slithered into the garden, this would be a meaningless curse. It's cursed to slithering around. And some of the, uh, uh, the old divines, the old preachers, they, they believe that the serpent used to walk upright. Now, we have no way of substantiating, substantiating that. We don't know. But one thing we do know is it slithered out of the garden. And we also know this, that every time Satan sees a serpent slithering around on the ground, he's reminded of his curse and his ultimate defeat. So they've been attacked by the devil, haven't they? Um, secondly, I want you to notice here that there's a declaration of war. Um, if you look at verse 15, 
In fact, you've heard me talk about verse 15 many times, and most of the time when uh, I'm talking about verse 15, I'm talking about the gospel, right? And that's because this is the first proclamation of the gospel. And I want to speak for a moment to that other extreme, that second extreme that I, I mentioned. We have a satanic attack here, a satanic assault here for sure. No one could argue against that. I don't know of anybody that argues against that. Now, when God comes into the garden, notice he doesn't conduct a deliverance. He preaches the gospel. He doesn't try to cast a demon out of Adam or Eve. He preaches the gospel. He says, uh, I will put enmity between you. That is Satan. He's speaking to Satan. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, most of you know that the offspring of the woman will eventually be Christ Jesus, correct? And so we have this warfare that's taking place between Christ and Satan. And one of the pinnacles of that warfare is at the cross, isn't it? Jesus goes to the cross. What does God do? God's actually using Satan's, you know, he, he, he basically hangs Satan at the cross with his own noose. I mean, Satan's doing everything he can to destroy Jesus. He finally gets his way only because God gives him his way. And Jesus is put on the cross where he, he's, he is tortured and executed and where he dies. That's the striking of the heel. On the third day, what happens? Christ, is, Christ rises from the dead, doesn't he? But Satan himself is, is uh, uh, he's defeated. Uh, he receives a deadly blow. Um, so uh, for our purpose tonight, um, we see that there's, going to, there's a battle or a war between, the sa between Satan and the woman. You can see that in the verse there. Uh, between Satan and her offspring. Uh, or we might say between Satan and Christ. We see that war right there uh, that's ensuing. Uh, so... What we can conclude from this text here is that spiritual warfare is a battle that's taking place at the cosmic level. Ultimately, it's between God and Satan. But it, it's, it's, it feathers through every strata of creation. When we were looking at Revelation 12, we saw the archangel Michael was fighting against the dragon, right? This is, the dragon, of course, is imagery uh, for Satan. What do we have? We have these powerful archangels that are fighting. In the, in the spiritual realm. So we see that the battle ensues between God and Satan, between uh, God's holy angels and Satan, between Christ and Satan, between Christ's kingdom and Satan, and between God's people and Satan. Um, it's a battle of accusations. It's a battle of deception. It's a battle of lies. Uh, Satan will use everything he can to deceive you know, he uses governments, he uses uh, educational systems and programs, he uses false churches, he uses all people and all, of all kinds in order to destroy souls. And um, he uses false teaching, false doctrine, uh, confusion in order to blind men of the truth. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, we're told that Satan has blinded the minds of all unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of Jesus, Right? And um, when we engage in evangelism, when we engage in teaching and biblical counseling, when we do what I'm doing right now, we engage in, in this spiritual warfare. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6.12. You guys, a lot of you know that verse really well. So, uh, this is really dim, it's really grim, but be a good cheer. I want to I give you a couple of verses here that, that um, we should rejoice in. The first one comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That is Christ, right? Christ is fully God, fully man. He takes on flesh. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death uh, who were subject to lifelong slavery. We see the deliverance here. Um, here's another verse, and I'm thinking about, I'm toying with using this verse, preaching on this verse during Advent. Listen to it, it's from 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That would work for a Sunday during Christmas, wouldn't it? When we're trying to talk to one another about why, what's the purpose of Christmas? There's a great purpose of Christmas. Why did Jesus come? He came to destroy the works of the devil. So if you're in Christ, you're in a war and it's a battle for your mind. And for November and December, I, I want to begin developing what God has given us so that we can stand, you know, just briefly in November and December. You know, next year we're going to study this stuff in much more detail. But um, uh, God has given us uh, a number of weapons of which we can stand against Satan's schemes. I don't want to leave you without at least giving you two of them. And I think these are two. I don't want to say they're the most important, but maybe they are the most important. And they're prayer and the word of God. Let's think about this for a moment. Let's go into the Garden of Eden with Eve. What would have happened if Eve would have applied the word of God to the situation she was in? She would have rebuked that snake. She would have fled from that snake. What would have happened if she would have prayed and asked the Father for help? Father, something awful is taking place here. Something eerie and really wrong is taking place here. Help. What, what's going on? I don't understand what's happening here. They're saying nasty things about you. So you see prayer and the word of God. Uh, these are, these are our, our weapons uh, so that we can stand. Uh, so uh, next time, uh, we'll probably be looking at Ephesians 6 a little bit more in detail. Uh, just to get kind of a, a, a quick introduction for November and December. So um, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, your word, which, uh, Lord, without your word, we'd have no idea what happened. We'd know nothing about a Garden of Eden. We'd know nothing about Adam and Eve. We'd know, we'd know nothing about these things. But, Father, it's interesting that these stories have been recorded by so many ancient civilizations. They're, uh, they're, they're twisted, they're distorted a bit, but... Uh, many ancient civilizations have a semblance of these stories, Father, that we have in the Word of God. And Lord, it, it just so teaches this is what happened. Uh, we know, Father, that this is what has happened. You've given us, you've given us in our Word. And Father, we, we pray, O oh Lord, for your protection as we begin to study the nature of the Christian walk, that we're really in a war, that it's really a battlefield for our minds and for our souls. Father, we pray that you would continue to teach us about these things and uh, uh, make us into a people that are faithful, that faithfully study your word and uh, are, are faithful to uh, call on you for your help and protection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.
I don't know if anybody has any questions about this stuff. Be, I usually don't take opportunities just to answer questions, but if anybody has any questions, I can't promise you I can answer, but I'll try. If not, uh, get back to your card games. <laughs>